All right. Good morning, everybody. Good to see everyone here today, and thank you to those of you joining us on live stream right now. Um, just in case you guys didn't see the What's Happening email this week, I'd like to start with an announcement, um, and I suppose it's possible that Leah brought this up. I needed to go downstairs when she was doing the announcement, so I apologize if I'm repeating myself. Okay, good. Um, so you probably heard the CDC announced uh, earlier this week that um, if you are fully vaccinated, um, you can take off the mask, uh, unless you're in a place where you know, the rules are you have to keep the mask on. So we realize that may have raised the question for you, okay, well, if I'm fully vaccinated, can I take the mask off in church? And um, that may be true in the near future, but Right now, we just want to encourage you, keep wearing the mask for now. Uh, we want to see what happens with the numbers in Connecticut over the next few weeks. And uh, we just want as many people to feel comfortable coming to church as possible right now. Uh, so we just really appreciate uh, you doing that for the time being. So thank you. Um, so as Leah said, we're, um, we finished our After Easter series. And I don't know if I, I communicated this correctly, but we're actually not starting a new sermon series today. We're going to be doing that soon, um, but I'm not quite ready to start our new series. So this week we're doing a one-off, uh, When Jesus Almost Got Thrown Off a Cliff. And the reason I have chosen this passage is for a very important reason. Uh, it's because I like it. <laughs> so I hope you appreciate it as well. Uh, during Jesus' earthly life, there were at least three occasions where he said something that was so offensive that right in that moment, people attempted to kill him. Uh, obviously, he was arrested and, and killed through the crucifixion. Uh, of course, that only worked for three days. Um, but there were three, at least three other occasions where something came out of his mouth that people were like, oh, no, no, that is not tolerable, and they attempted to kill him. So... Uh, one of those times is in John chapter 8. Uh, you don't have to turn there. I'll just uh, summarize it real, real quickly. Uh, Jesus is teaching in the temple grounds. And uh, he's having this heated exchange with the religious leaders. And at one point he declares, even before Abraham, I am. Which is a claim to divinity. Basically he's saying, you know the father of your faith who lived 2,000 years ago? I existed before he even did. And everyone around him knows what he's saying. They get the gist of it. And they're so upset by it that they pick up stones to stone him. And yet, somehow, miraculously, it says that Jesus escapes. It's very mysterious. It doesn't give us the details as to how he, he does it. It just says they picked up stones to stone him, but Jesus hid himself, slipping away from the temple grounds. And then the second time something like this happens, it's just a few chapters later in the book of John. Impressively, Jesus is once again back teaching around the temple grounds. And this time he says, I and the Father are one. And again, this sets off the crowd. And uh, they pick up stones to stone him. And Jesus actually tries to engage them. He says, why are you doing this? What's the problem? And they tell him, because you, a mere man, claim to be God. And Jesus says, basically, well, you know, you can see the miracles that I'm doing. Can't you tell that the Father is in me? And with that, 
that's too much. They can't handle it anymore. Um, they try to seize him, but just like last time, somehow Jesus eludes their grasp. He mysteriously escapes. So the passage we're going to look at this morning, this is a third example of something like this happening, but there's some differences uh, with those other if we compare it to those other two examples. Just like in the other two examples, people are going to get really mad at Jesus, they're going to try to kill him, and he's going to mysteriously mis uh, escape. But this time, what really sets the crowd off is going to be a little bit different than those other two times. And as we read this passage, the question that I want you to ask yourselves is, what makes the crowd so angry? Because think about it this way. Human nature doesn't change. Okay, culture changes, fads come and go, that sort of thing. But underneath it all, human nature stays the same. So if Jesus said something that got a crowd so mad that they were ready to throw him off a cliff, chances are Jesus could say the same kind of thing to us today and it would still get us just as mad. So ask yourself the question as we read this, why is the crowd so angry? So uh, if you have a Bible, turn with me to Luke chapter 4 starting in verse 14. Luke 4, 14. Let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, we thank you so much for this morning, this uh, beautiful spring morning. We thank you for the privilege of being able to gather together. Uh, we thank you for the way that you meet us when we gather together like this. And Lord, we just invite you, uh, speak to us through your word, open us up to receive whatever it is that you want to tell us. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread through the whole countryside. He taught in their synagogues, and everyone praised him. He went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. And he stood up to read. The scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him, and he began by saying to them, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. All spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips. Isn't this Joseph's son? they asked. Jesus said to them, Surely you will quote this proverb to me. Physician, heal yourself. Do here in your hometown what we have heard that you did in Capernaum. I tell you the truth, he continued. No prophet is accepted in his hometown. I assure you that there were many widows in Israel in Elijah's time, when the sky was shut for three and a half years and there was a severe famine throughout the land. Yet Elijah was not sent to any one of them, but to a widow in Zarephath in the region of Sidon. And there were many in Israel with leprosy in the time of Elisha the prophet, Yet not one of them was cleansed, only Naaman the Syrian. All the people in the synagogue were furious when they heard this. They got up, drove him out of the town, 
and took him to the brow of the hill on which the town was built in order to throw him off the cliff. But he walked right through the crowd and went on his way. All right, so remember our question. Why did the crowd get so angry at Jesus? Well, let's analyze some of the details here. So Jesus goes to the synagogue, and I want us to note, as was his custom. In other words, it was Jesus' custom to go to the church of his day every Sabbath, even though it could be a very hostile environment, as we see. <laughs> he was still committed to that practice, that spiritual discipline of going to the synagogue. And so he, he goes to the synagogue in his hometown of Nazareth, where he grew up, and he's been gaining a reputation in the area as a miracle worker. And he stands up in the synagogue and he reads a text from the book of Isaiah. Now, when Isaiah wrote these words centuries beforehand, Israel was in a really awful place. Okay, Israel had been attacked by the Babylonians. Uh, Jerusalem had been ransacked. The temple had been destroyed. Many people had been taken away into exile. And Isaiah was a prophet who spoke to the Israelites when they were in that situation, and he said these words to them. He basically uh, had a vision of Israel returning to its glory. The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then Jesus says, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing, which means what was written then, okay, that's what's happening now. The sort of thing that Isaiah described, it is taking place in this time through me right now. Now, something that's easy for us to miss when we read this is that when Jesus quotes Isaiah, he actually stops mid-sentence. And let me just admit that I am indebted to a, uh, a pastor in Missouri named Brian Zahn for this observation, and probably for a couple more of the observations that I'm going to make this morning, but I think they're, they're very on point. Uh, and the way Zahn describes it, he says that when Jesus read this passage, it would be kind of like if you were singing the national anthem and you went, For the land of the free and then sat down. Because in Isaiah, that sentence, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, doesn't end there. It says, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God. But Jesus chooses not to say that part. That's interesting, isn't it? Now, I want to be clear about something. Okay? I'm not saying that Jesus is contradicting Isaiah. But what Jesus is doing is he's selecting a portion of Isaiah's vision, and he's saying this is what describes what's happening right now through me. And when he does that, he deliberately chooses not to say this part of the sentence. It's a very interesting choice. And it's an interesting choice because the people of Jesus' day wanted a king to come and take vengeance on Israel's enemies. 
You will see that if you read the Gospels. Okay? The people wanted an earthly king to come who would be a military conqueror, who would make Israel sovereign and supreme and humiliate Israel's enemies and oppressors. That is what they wanted. And time and time again, even though Jesus admitted that he was the Messiah, he let them down in regard to that expectation. He upset that expectation over and over again. You know, the disciples, it took them a long time to learn that Jesus' kingdom wasn't going to be in the style of earthly kingdoms, that it was going to be different, that it was going to be built differently. So the way that Jesus reads this scripture, the way he ends it mid-sentence, seems to be a, a way of saying this, okay? I am not here to satisfy your bloodlust to humiliate and destroy people outside your group. I'll say that again. I am not here to satisfy your bloodlust to humiliate and destroy people outside of your group. Now, maybe you're not convinced of all this. Maybe you think, oh, Ryan, that sounds like a stretch. I don't know if that's really what Jesus was, was doing here. I think you're reading too much into it. But before you dismiss what I'm saying, I want you to consider that when we go further down into the passage, what happens? This theme of God embracing those outside the group comes up again, right? Jesus says, I tell you the truth, no prophet is accepted in his hometown. I assure you that there were many widows in Israel in Elijah's time when the sky was shut for three and a half years and there was a severe famine throughout the land. Yet, Elijah was not sent to any one of them, but to a widow in Zarephath in the region of Sidon. And there were many in Israel with leprosy in the time of Elisha the prophet, yet not one of them was cleansed, only Naaman the Syrian. Now that should lead you to ask, okay, how did the Israelites of that time feel about Sidonites and Syrians? It's a good question to ask, right? Well, I looked that up in a commentary, and it said, and I quote, Sidon and Syria were among the particularly despised areas. They were considered to be Israel's enemies. They would have been seen as the kind of people who were worthy of vengeance. And yet, Jesus reminds the people in the synagogue that God sent prophets to them. There are Old Testament stories of that happening. And God even healed one of them of leprosy, Naaman. Who, by the way, if you know the story, he wasn't just any ordinary Syrian. He was actually a commander in the Syrian army. So, you know, talk about an uncomfortable story if you want God to take vengeance on your enemies, right? So, let's put this together, right? Jesus stands up in the synagogue, and he quotes a passage, but he leaves out the part about vengeance on Israel's enemies, and then he reminds everyone of two Old Testament stories where people who would have been regarded as Israel's enemies are blessed by God. And that sets people off. That makes them angry. Jesus says, no prophet is accepted in his hometown. Let's think about that expression. Even if you're not a Bible reader, there's a good chance you've heard that expression at some time, right? A prophet is not accepted in his hometown. And most of my life, when I hear that, I've, I've understood Jesus to be saying, the people where you grew up are never going to take you seriously. 
right? Because they knew you as a kid. I remember when I was finishing seminary, around the same time, the church I grew up in was looking for a pastor. And I thought about, oh, should I apply for there? And I thought, you know, there are still people who, like, change my diapers in the nursery there. <laughs> so maybe, maybe if a prophet isn't recognized in his hometown, maybe that's not a good idea. And so I do think that's part of what Jesus is saying here. I think that's part of the idea, that there's something about the familiarity of you know, people having known you for a long time that makes it hard for them to really hear what you're saying. I think that is part of what Jesus means. And we see that, right, because the people say, isn't this Joseph's son? Right? In other words, isn't this just an unremarkable guy who we've known forever? Right? What? How can he talk like this? But what I want to suggest this morning is maybe Jesus is saying more than that when he says no prophet is accepted in his hometown. Maybe a prophet isn't accepted in his hometown because a prophet says things that critique his hometown. Maybe a prophet isn't, isn't accepted in his hometown because he upsets the expectations of the people in the hometown. Right? Maybe a prophet isn't accepted in his hometown because a prophet says that people outside the hometown have value and worth, right? like Syrians and Sidonites. Maybe we can appreciate what Jesus is saying here more if we replace the word hometown with something like tribe or in-group. You know, no prophet is accepted in his tribe. No prophet is accepted in his, his in-group. Why? Because every tribe, every in-group wants to believe that they're the righteous ones and the people on the outside are wrong. The people on the outside, they're the ones that really deserve condemnation. But then the prophet comes along and the prophet says, you know what, I think we need to repent. I think this hometown needs to repent. The prophet comes along and says, those people out there, God cares about them too. And the hometown has trouble hearing that. Those messages can be very hard for us to hear. They can stir up feelings of rage, right? They can even lead us to want to throw the messenger off a cliff. And so I want to challenge us this morning with two questions. The first one is for us to ask ourselves, how might I be like these people who got so angry at Jesus? You know, the judgmental way of reading this story is just to look at those people and be like, ah, look at what ridiculous people, right? But the humble way to read the story is to, is to think, okay, yeah, human nature doesn't change. There's a good chance that the same spirit, the same attitude exists in me, and I have to learn how to root it out, right? So think about that. In what ways might I be like this, this crowd? If we are going to learn to follow Jesus instead of throw him off a cliff, okay, we have to learn how to rein in our defensive rage. You know, we probably have never attempted to throw someone off a cliff because we disagreed with them, but, you know, we may have gotten really angry at someone because they told us the truth and we didn't like what they were saying, right? Because the truth that they were saying critiqued our group critiqued our people or because it gave value to people that we don't like. 
You know, Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount that we have to take the plank out of our own eye before we can address the speck in our brother's eye. Basically, what Jesus was saying there is you need to have an attitude that says, I am more concerned about rooting out the evil in myself, in the groups that I am a part of, than in judging the groups that I'm outside of. It's, it's very natural, it's human nature to notice the evil in other people and in other groups. And it's very natural even to want to see God punish them for that. That's normal, right? But what's exceptional, what's unusual, is when we're more focused on addressing the evil in our own hearts and in our own communities and the groups that we identify with. So another question, question number two, that I encourage you to think about this week. Who are my Sidonites and Syrians? Who might be the people, the groups of people that I encounter that I feel the way that these Israelites in the first century felt about the Sidonites and the Syrians? Who are the people that I, if I'm honest with myself, I just want to see them burn? Who are the people that I would rather see them experience God's vengeance than see them repent and experience mercy? You know, and try to be honest with yourself. You know, at first you might say, well, there's no one that I feel that way about. But our actions are, are telling sometimes, right? Who, who do I get really rageful and angry at? You know, who inspires that lust for vengeance in me? The conservatives? The liberals? The progressives? The traditionalists? The science skeptics? Yankee fans? You know, whoever it might be, this story should challenge us to imagine Jesus affirming the value of those people in a way that makes us uncomfortable, right? And encouraging us to replace our lust for vengeance with mercy. Now, just to be clear, okay, that doesn't mean that we're supposed to think that whatever people think in these other groups is right. I'm not saying that at all. But it means that we should want good for them, not evil. So again, okay, two questions to focus on this week. How am I like the people in this crowd, in this story? And who are my Sidonites and Syrians? Ask the Holy Spirit. Reveal to me, Lord. Speak to me through these questions. Help me to understand myself better. Help me to know myself better. Work in my heart. It's so interesting to me the way the passage ends. Just like those other stories where Jesus mysteriously escapes, right? The crowd is out for blood, they seize Jesus, they're ready to throw him off the cliff, and then it just says that Jesus walks right through them and goes on his way. Walks right through them and goes on his way. Now, how did that work? How did he do that? I don't know. Was it some sort of Jedi mind trick, you know? I'm going to leave now. I don't know. Clearly it was something supernatural, right? Now, Zond sees in this moment a reflection of a spiritual truth. And um, I'll just put this out, out there. I, I, I think what he's saying is true about the way things work, okay? I, I'm, 
It might seem like a little bit of a stretch, but just hear it out. Zahn says that this moment reflects the fact that if we hold tightly to our desire for vengeance, then Jesus just kind of passes through, through us and moves on. So, in other words, okay, if we refuse to hear a prophetic critique of our own group, if we refuse to recognize the value of those outside of our group, then it's like the presence of God departs. The power leaves our churches. The spiritual vitality in us dries up. And, and people who are on the outside of our group, when they look in, they don't see holiness. They see hypocrisy. And the power is gone. The life is gone. May that never be us. May we be the kind of people who are willing to hear prophetic critique from God. To be challenged. May we be the kind of people who turn from vengeance and toward mercy. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, if there's anything in us that's like this crowd that ran to grab you and throw you off a cliff, Lord, may your Holy Spirit root it out of us. Lord, help us to be the kind of people who embody your mercy, who represent your mercy, who share it. Lord, help us to be the kind of people who are like Jesus. I pray that you would continue to speak to us through this passage this week. In Jesus' name, amen.